I tell this story because I see so many women in pain because of their mothers. Don't blame your mother. Mm. Let go of that. That's she, holding you back. Yeah. Yeah. She's not you. You're you. You have your choices to make. Mm-hmm. So don't carry your mother's burden. Welcome to About Your Mother, Where Your Story Begins. I'm host, Jennifer Griffith. Imagine at 16 years old, your mother comes home, announces she's moving out, only to move in next door with three college students. This happened to my next guest, Diane Danvers-Simmons, and to hear how she processed this experience and used it for good is not only entertaining, it's a lesson in acceptance. Diane, welcome to About Your Mother, where your story begins. It's an honor to have you. Well, thank you. And I'm uh, really excited. And you are actually my first interview about the book. Oh, really? Oh, I just got (laughs) chills. Oh, that makes me so Besides my daughter who interviewed me this weekend for the launch, but I'm honored to be here. And I'm really grateful that you're interested in sharing stories about our foundational relationships, where we start. Where we start. They're so influential. Oh, you gave me chills. So I have chills out of the <laughs> gate. This is a good one. Well, let's start there. Let's start with the book. I mean, at start at the beginning. You were inspired to write a book about your relationship with your mother. Let's begin yeah. there. Well, you know, it's it's really interesting. I say this in my introduction to the book. This is the story I never intended to tell. Wanted to tell, and I've walked away from it numerous times but it was a story I was destined to. And I have this strong belief that we go through things in our life. And part of that, and part of that journey is so that we can overcome, maybe learn, flourish, and also share those experiences. Because it's a bit like folklore. The way we learn is through stories or the way we can engage with people and evoke emotion is purely through story. So I was in advertising, I've been in the film business, and, and then I had Own It, Feel It, Live It, or I created Own It, Feel It, Live It, which was really an empowerment platform for women, but really taking this concept of spirituality and, and just making it, normalizing it in a way that we, we don't have time to, you know, meditate for an hour in the morning, an hour in the night, and go through all these rituals to try and balance ourselves. We live in the real world. But really, it was, so a lot of people, when I would tell the story, would laugh. And I would laugh. And I would tell it in a joking manner. And humor is something that is part of our DNA, I think, as Brits. You know, we, we turn a very painful situation into humor. It's the way we cope. It's the way most people cope. And it's also allowing yourself to see the absurdity and the humor in a situation, even if it isn't really that funny on many levels, but it allows us to cope. So I was in Morocco and rather unusual journey that I was taking with my daughter. She just finished college. No, she hadn't. She was just starting college. And I was going through my own marital upheaval. And my daughter this marital upheaval started going on when she was about 16 oh wow and that hit me hard because I vowed I would never do to my children what my mother did unto me yes so I'm there and 
there's the, the, these two people that I've just met, Erhan and Lisa, on my escape to shape trip with my daughter, trying to cement that bond and knowing this is a critical time in her life, my life, our relationship to really make sure we get over that next hurdle. And I'm at dinner, having a glass of rosé, and at the end of dinner, they say to me, they start channeling. And, and there's a couple of other people in the room and they said, oh, yeah, Diane, help me with this. Or I've got this situation or I've got this situation. And I turned to look at them and I said, OK, so what advice do you have for me? And they said, you need to let go. You need to let go and you need to forgive your mother. And I said, what do you mean, my mother? <laughs> you don't even know anything about my mother, my story about me. And they go, clearly something happened. You need to forgive her because if you don't, generationally, that pattern will continue to be repeated. So I thought about it and I realized, you know, maybe there were some things I needed to find out to deal with. So people have said to me, this should be a movie. You need to write a movie. And I thought about doing that. And I even investigated that. I even hired some writers to help me. And what did they do? They turned it into, you know, high school musical meets the hangover. <laughs> and where every young woman, all of my friends were utter, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the word bitch. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> that's how they, this idea that all these friends were backbiting or that my mother was this character, my dad was this awful character. They changed the story. And a good yeah. friend of mine who is a producer Graham Yo said to me, Diane, write the goddamn story first. And you have to do that because then your true story is out there and people can change it if they want, but the truth is out there. So that's what I started to do. Yeah. As I did it, I really went back to my roots and went back to the UK, close friends, my sister in particular, my eldest sister by my mother, and really began to ask questions and understand and try and understand why she did the sh things she did. And so it went from creating something that was going to be very funny, which it still has that irreverent British humor in it, to something that has layer upon layer, and it has messages, or even if they're not messages, but something, you know, ideas that will provoke thought and maybe help people feel like, you know what, we all have crazy relationships. We all have situations. How do we move through those? Yes. How do we accept them completely, the good and the bad, the dichotomy of every experience? Let's talk about your mom and what happened when you were 16 that kind of sparked this, I guess that's the moment of reflection, right? Where you began to really unpack this experience. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I realize, and this might sound strange, that through that time, and even as I wrote this book, I felt sometimes like I was hovering out of my body over this story, witnessing. And I remember when it happened, when I think about it, you know, I say, say at the beginning of the book, you know, what do you mean you're leaving? I, I you're not leaving. I don't believe you. I didn't believe her for one moment. But the reason I didn't believe her for one moment is because she'd been threatening for the previous two years. She was very volatile. She was this Irish 
larger than life, but, you know, diminutive little four foot 11 Irish pistol, as I called her. And I, I, I called her little Hitler because <laughs> honestly, she was, she was, she was bossy and she could be brutal. I mean, she had a viper tongue, but she also had this huge heart where she would help anyone. She volunteered at the old people's home. But the the essence of why my mum left, and I can realise it and relate to it now as an adult with my own family, my own blended family, is because she had been an independent woman. She'd lived through, you know, well, she'd lived through many revolutions. She'd lived through the black and tan era as a little girl in Ireland. She became one of the first women who who was able to vote. She was a young woman and she was finally able to vote and use her voice, which she constantly got into trouble for, (laughs) particularly with the nuns in school. (laughs) From day one. But she had a mind and a spirit of her own, which could be cruel. But as I said, that there is two sides to this woman. Mm -hmm. And, And clearly there was something else going on, but I think most of it was deep trauma. But then she came to England on her own at age 16 when the Irish weren't well-received. They were looked down upon. Then the war hit. Then I won't tell you what happened through the war because I'll ruin the whole book. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not giving away the secret. buy the book. They are going to buy the book. We're going to make them. <laughs> but then... She divorced in the 50s and she was Catholic, Irish Catholic. So that was, you know, a big deal. Not an easy choice to make. An easy choice. Uh, She basically more or less raised two children on her own, sent them to private school, which was a big thing. The school was very important because she never got to finish her education. And then she meets my father and I turn up and she is premenopausal and he's 60. She's late 40s, he's 60. So that is a whole nother story which I'll read about, which again was very unusual back then in the 60s. And so she, instead of reclaiming her independence again after raising children and being a very independent working woman while she raised those children, she suddenly marries a traditional man whose wife does not work because he's very traditional. It's as simple as that. He's very traditional. No wife of his needs to work. She's there to raise the children and he provides this amazing life for her and a life that maybe she wouldn't have had on her own. So there's this, uh, this lure of, you know, this wonderful life she's going to have with this man who can take her abroad twice a year, has a beautiful home, or, you know, but there's a new child. And can you imagine having a child when you're going through menopause? No. <laughs> no. So then you're restricted, your life changes. You're, a lot of things happen again. I don't want to give away the story. So I can see she got to her breaking point. And I'm a teen. Teens aren't easy. No, and that's a different podcast. But I'm teen and suddenly it's, what about me? 
what's next, a question that we allow ourselves to ask these days. But it's not a question women asked themselves back in the 70s, not women of my mother's era and age. Mm -hmm. So I see now how there could be many, you know, again, I don't want to give away too much because I do allude to it through the book, but this woman lost her independence and she needed it back. She was dying in suburbia life. She was not a suburban woman and she was dying. Right. Wow. Oh, absolutely. And and no surprise. And I think it's easy for us to look back now and see the difference and say, oh, you know, that was not easy for her. But back then they didn't have a voice to speak up and say, this isn't working for me. I need ABC, XYZ. That just wasn't an option. No. And other mothers weren't doing it. I mean, my mother was probably the oldest mother around, very unique. As I like to say, she was never jumped in a helicopter to keep an eye on me. You know, I was I was riding my bike in the woods and swinging from the top of the, you know, banisters down to the bottom floor on sheets tied, pretending I was Catwoman. And I was allowed that freedom. But there, you know, but there was another side. She could create this environment which was sprinkled with fairy dust and magic and in the next moment, she could curse you and just, you'd be on the floor just wondering what on earth had happened. Yeah. So it, it was, she was definitely very, she was a narcissistic person, definitely. Not always easy on you no. at all. So you're in, I think it's Morocco, right? They yeah. say you have to address the mother issue. And, mm-hmm. and so you think it's going to be a movie and then it's going to be a book. What was this process like for you to go back not only re-experience your teenage years with her and childhood with her, but then also a little bit put yourself in her shoes as a way of trying to understand what was going on with her. Let's talk about the process a little bit and what that was like for you. Yeah, I'll answer that as a two-part question because that's a loaded one. It's a big one, big (laughs) enough for a book and a movie. (laughs) I did it because I had a lot of encouragement around me. Every time I was uh, given a keynote speech at an empowerment conference or luncheon or one of my own workshops, for example, I would end up sharing that story because people would say to me, well, how come you ended up like this happy, positive, normal person? And I'm certainly not normal, but I am happy and positive. (laughs) um, But I, you know, I have my moments too, of course. I'm not perfect. I I always like to say the thing we forget about humanity and each other, each other is that we're all deeply flawed, but that's what makes us human and interesting. And it's about that word acceptance, accepting us, each other for those flaws. So I decided, you know, everyone kept on saying, you have to tell this story. You have to tell this story. And my children... My daughter, Natalie, and my son, Nicholas, were very supportive of that. And I thought, you know, maybe I do. But I started it off as a funny story. And I went back to England. I went to my best friend who, ironically, and and this will make me a little emotional, called me right before this interview. And she said, I don't know why. This is my best friend since age five who I call Sophie in the book. 
She said, I don't know why I feel you need to talk. I just need to talk to you right now. Mm. And I said, you know what? You do. This is a very emotional time for me. And it's exciting. It's scary. And I think part of making the decision to write the story was very, very scary. Because you never want people to see your mother in a bad light, however awful she's been. Does that reflect on me? Does that reflect on my children? Does that reflect on everyone I know around me? You don't want that. And so it was a hard thing to do, but started off as a lot of fun. I went back to England. I asked each of my really close friends, including Sophie, and my ex-sister-in-law and some other people, I said, just write a passage about how you remember my mother, my father, me. Do you remember anything about that time? And I went and spent time in the UK. And not only did I get back into that story, but parts of Sophie, members of Sophie's family, friends of mine said, Think about just the era we were growing up, the 70s as well, as part of this. So that became fascinating to weave that into the story because our mindset, our environment was very different. We weren't being followed. And being a Brit, we don't overreact or over-dramatize you know, the situation. One of my friends said to me, oh, yeah, I remember your mum moved next door, you know, and I kind of thought it was strange, but, you know, that was that. We moved on. Yeah. And that's kind of how we are. We move on. You get on with it. We didn't have therapists at school to help us. Mind the gap. Keep moving. <laughs> Sorry, just keep on moving. It was really fascinating to go back to that. That was a fascinating part of the process. And then to sit with my sister who shared these stories about my mother's childhood past, things that she had never shared with me because she shared everything through rose-tinted glasses, you know, like a, a great war movie, not in the harsh reality the way we do these days, which I think we get too harsh about a lot of things. <laughs> and so... That was fascinating too. But I think once I started writing, I got all this information and I went back and forth and probably rewrote this book a number of times because it started off as just my story with her. Then it led, led into, okay, if I'm learning these things about her, I need to share that with the audience mm -hmm. because the audience will, or the reader will start this book and think, oh, what a bitch, leaving <laughs> your mother. You know, what mother leaves her daughter at age 16 and doesn't even tell the father and leaves the daughter to deal with the fallout? And she, and she moves next door. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's where everyone bursts out laughing. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> like, I'm out of here, but I'm going next door. <laughs> Not only did my mother leave me a week after my 16th birthday, but she bought the house next door, moved next door, and moved in with three hot college lads that she'd oh. been in the place to and shared a bathroom with them, which was one of the things just like, how can you share a bathroom with three smelly college students? That's beyond <laughs> me. But anyway, 
so that was all the comical side. And and why does someone do that? You know, and, and I go into that a little bit. As I wrote the book, I realized I have to share that past with the reader because then you begin to understand the qualities, the experiences, the stories that make up the woman she became and why she did things she did. Because one of the things I learned, if anything, on all my DPAC exploration courses and trainings and everything else that I did, because I went through that major reevaluation of my life and everything around me, probably in 2009, something like that, is that the way people behave or a situation is not about you. It's about what's happened to them mm-hmm. and how they handled that and had to face that. So they're reacting in, in what they understand a situation to be. And they're, they're, they're responding, they're reacting, they're attacking you because of their perspective not because of yours necessarily. So I wanted people to be able to sink into this story and begin to really think about, okay, what is this foundational relationship? How has it impacted me? And just provoke thought without judgment. And that's my biggest thing, without judgment, because... People are too willing to judge and cancel each other out. And we can't do that. No. We have to understand someone's story to have compassion and empathy and begin to see, really see the soul of that person and who they were and why they do the things they did or, or do or did. Yeah. It's that what happened to you, you know, there's that great book with uh, that came out with Oprah and that, in fact, resilience comes from what happened to you, these experiences yes. that we have. Yes. And I think getting back to why our generation kind of benefited from not being helicoptered was that we we went out there and we failed and we figured it out and, and it wasn't all templated for us. And that's a great gift. I have to say a great gift I got was resilience. But the second part of that question of the process, yeah, it was hard. I mean... At times, I would just blast music, dance around, and the words just flowed freely because I played the music of the time. And as you know, in the book, every chapter is a Diana Ross song yeah. because that there's a whole story behind that. And um, she kept me sane and kept my, bo- my body moving so I could actually release a lot of that tension mm. that probably I was carrying at the time. But then there were moments that I was just like screaming at oh. her you know why why did you do that why were you so cruel why were you so thoughtless and selfish mm. and why did you leave me to fix everything for you why did I have to carry your burden and then there were times I would play a Monty Python episode or whatever and and I would laugh hysterically so so it, it's a case of going through every emotion but also it's a case of staying true to your story and not allowing people to change your voice because people will try and change your voice. And a number of times people would say to me, oh, I don't think you can say that. Is that politically correct? 
And I would say, you know what? I'm not saying it it in an unkind way. And this is the era I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And it was not politically correct. (laughs) No, it was not. (laughs) It was not. And, And I'm not saying anything that is detrimental to someone, but this is the way people spoke. And, you know, she called me big, big and ugly enough to take care of myself. It was an endearing term for her. It really has been a fascinating um, exploration of how people are behaving now in situations versus how we did back then. Oh, I bet. Right. Because there's been big shifts, just like there was big shifts from our mothers to, you know, our generation. So many huge swings. Yeah. Massive. And I think there's such an exercise and not an easy one. Like you said, there's tears, there's laughter, you know, there's dancing and there's some money Python for you, but to truly understand our mothers, the, the woman they were before they were our mom is exactly. such an incredible exercise and not an easy one. No. And I think it's a conversation. And I say this in the book, you know, have those uncomfortable conversations Find out who your mother was before she was your mother. Right. Now, and and what are her dreams? Who is she yet to be? I mean, I'm not done. And my daughter's, you know, 27. I'm not done. No, you're not. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You're not. And I think because when you examine who your mother, the woman she was before she was your mom, it really helps see the shape of your life. And how you launched into the world, good and bad, like you said. And then here's the scary thing that happens that I know you talk about uh, in your recent pod where you read the introduction. We vow not to be like them, but then, oh boy, some parallels show up that we, when we, I think when we get into middle age, especially we're like, oh boy, I am starting to do things a little bit like her, not entirely, but a little bit like her. Did you start to see that in yourself? Yes. And I always knew this about myself. Um, And I actually warned my husband of this when we first met. If you begin to cage me and, and trap me and try and make, you know, try and create this gilded cage around me, I will be walking out the door one day. And you know, life moves on, you know, you have your career. I had my children. We couldn't both be traveling all over the world running. You know, I was part running an agency, an advertising agency. Uh, we both had big careers and I chose to step back, but I had other things to do in that time and to learn in that time. And part of that was being a parent and blending a family. But I think what I realized is, as my mother, I'm constantly curious. I'm constantly wanting to learn. I'm constantly wanting to explore. I call myself a travel holic. She was not a travel holic like I am, but she wanted to explore. She wanted to experience. Um, she had a very playful side. I do too. You know. Um, she left Ireland to move to England yeah. for a better life. I left England to move to America for a better life and career. We were both very driven um, in many respects. 
so so yes you know the the fact we both left and 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 she wanted to go back to Ireland at one point and I think of not necessarily going back to England but I want to have a base in Europe you know I will always be here because my children are here but I want to have that foot in we're all storytellers she was a storyteller and that's how I communicate I realized you know so I suppose independence you both need to have that independence we're both storytellers curious and you know she she also taught me to give back you know to she was her she was working in just part part time volunteering helping in an old person's home she would help people um so uh, you know and and I try and help empower young women. So there are many things. And, and also skincare. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, your skin is beautiful. Oh, thank you. We're fanatical about skincare. <laughs> so here we are. Let's talk about this. So you have a podcast with your daughter. You have a blended family. There's another thing that we have in common. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, and as as we go to raise our kids, we start looking in the mirror saying, oh my gosh, who am I and why? How has this whole experience of you digging in, analyzing your past and your relationship with your mother shaped and influenced the way you're raising your family and, and even doing the podcast together? From day one, I knew how I wanted to raise my daughter and then my son um, and the type of relationship I wanted with them. Um, because family, uh, despite whatever mum did, um, family is very, very important to me. Mm-hmm. And having an open, honest relationship where my child has a voice and can speak to me and I listen is very important. And I, but when I say listen, it's not lip service, really listen. But also, I'm the parent. So I have to know to set boundaries and how to guide them. Um, and I'll speak about my biological children first. And with my daughter, when I had my son, I realized she needed her time too. So I created time for just she and I. And I created time for just my son and I. And I still do that because it's important to have that, that individual time as well as collective time. And I will have time with just both my children without my husband, because again, it's a very different dynamic and we should all feel okay and not hurt or insulted by that. Um, so when Natalie was around about 14 or 15, I, you know, relationships evolve and change with your children, particularly with your daughters. And I was subconsciously so aware of what had happened with my mother at 16, that I was not going to allow that to happen with my daughter. Oh. And, and I had quite honestly um, wanted to leave my husband when my daughter was 16. Mm. And I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't. Um, and, you know, a couple of years later, we did take a break. Um, okay. But we did it in a way where we sat as a family and talked about it and said the family structure has changed but the unit is intact wow yeah we're still here for you so that was something that was very important to me 
because of what had happened to me. That was the lesson I had learned. And, and we stayed close doing Christmases, lunches, everything, you know, always doing family things together, even though maybe we were apart as man and wife. Um, but moving on, my daughter and I, um, we started taking these yearly special trips around the world. And Morocco was the first, well, actually we did a month in Europe when she turned 16, which in of itself was really interesting because she began to see me as a woman because one of my girlfriends from high school who had been there throughout my whole experience with me came and joined us and she had a high school friend join us. So we started this tradition of traveling together, just the two of us, and we would meet with other people and other friends along the way. And, and then we continued that. And it really was, I was starting to write the book and people said, you know, you really should do, you know, some sort of podcast or something together because you have this unique relationship where there's this great love and respect for each other. And it's quite interesting, Diane, to watch you listen to Natalie, who Natalie's brutally honest, you know, um, and, and sometimes <laughs> like, whoa, you know, but she's my, she will honestly critique things, but she's also my biggest supporter. And we yeah. talk, you know, she will come to me, but I always said to my kids, I don't care what it is. Nothing will surprise me in this world. Come to me and tell me rather than hide things from me. Oh, I say the same thing. Yes. I'll be really pissed off if you hide it. But if I know, then at least I'm your sounding board and I can give you advice. Mm -hmm. So we started these trips together. And actually, we were in Cambodia. I was writing the book, as I said. And as I'm writing the book, I kept on thinking, you know, we, we really need to recognize how special this bond is and how we can talk openly about everything from politics to religion to sex to fashion to art, whatever the topic is, family. And we were in Cambodia, and people kept on saying to us, you know, you do really need to do something. You know, you really need to have this podcast or do something together to, sh to help other mothers and daughters because all mothers and daughters go through this time when the daughter wants to push you away. She wants to find her own identity. You don't necessarily want them to go one day and the next day you wish they would go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we're the punching bag, basically. So we realized, and I, I wrote an article about this, Parallel Lives, while she was, you know, going through all her hormonal stuff, I'm going through perimenopause, okay. hormonal stuff, you know. A perfect and, storm. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, bouncing off the walls. So we realize there are many parallels. We just have different experiences, different life experiences. And we're looking at things from different perspectives. I'm looking at it from up here as an older person who's had this life experience, has this network friendships she's looking at it from a young person coming into the world with all the new technology social media all these other aspects and we decided that um our bond allowed us to approach all of these tough subjects so let's do something together and yeah. so we started planning it right before covid 
And it's really the, the whole idea is to have this intergenerational conversation where we can support each other and help each other. And again, hear different perspectives. We have these, what I call the guiding principles, which I'll just quickly read you. Yeah. Which is about community, creating community, a place where women don't feel alone and know that they're not the only ones going through these different relationship changes. Collaboration, collaborating with people, just like we're doing here. We're supporting each other as women. Mm-hmm. Compassion, always having that compassion, which was something I learned growing up, but found even more of through writing the book. Courage, which I never thought of it that way, but my daughter said to me a couple of weeks ago, she said, you're one of the bravest women I know writing this story. Yeah. And it, it made me cry it was, because I didn't think of myself in that way. But your children can give you a different perspective of who you are as a person and, and and a certain praise for doing something that you didn't expect, you know, that that's probably the greatest gift. Um, civility, which is why we did this, because we need to be able to speak to each other with respect and not cancel out each other's thoughts and feelings, curiosity and very candid conversations. So, um, that's kind of why we created it. I love uh, it. And the blended family, my philosophy going in after seeing the way my mother behaved with my um, dad's daughter who had lost her mother at mm-hmm. age 12. Uh, so she was coming into this marriage at age 14, you know, looking for a mother figure who was not kind to her. Blending the family my philosophy is the children didn't make this decision. This is not the children's responsibility to make this work. It's our responsibility. I agree a hundred percent. You know? And so for me, it's, is it always perfect? No. Has it always been easy? No, (laughs) but we have to talk about it. And we, we just did an episode. Actually, I did one with my stepdaughter, which was, I loved it. As a, as a stepmom, I loved it. So honest and real, but yes. like you, like you do, let's talk about it. Yes. That's how you get to acceptance and recognition and all the values that you listed for your podcast, because it's authentic. You know, when I hear you speak all I, the word that keeps coming in my head is authenticity. Yeah, really. It, it, and that, because it was like, I can't ask other people to talk about their experience I have to talk about my own with my own stepdaughter who uh, we have a really close relationship, but was it always easy? Was it always that close? No. And, you know, and again, it evolves and changes with the different phases we go through as we grow. Absolutely. And, and it's, um, so I think that again, why did I marry someone who already had children? I had to change the pattern that my mother had created, which basically blew up a family. So I'm not going to blow up my family. Mm. Yes. I married my dad who had two kids before. So here I am, you know, (laughs) my son is me. 
Yeah. Isn't it funny how we do that just subconsciously? Who is that? actually reminds me of my father a lot. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, see, yeah, but it, it's just amazing that we do that because we do have to live through it and we have to face it and rethink it and reshape it and think about, well, what are we really going to pass on from this generation to the next? Because they are going to be so different. So true. It, it's so true. And, and all I can hope is that each generation learns a little bit each time <laughs> because we're not going to learn everything at once. Baby steps. <laughs> Baby steps. I mean, if we can take giant strides, great. But it, again, it's, and I think this is one of my big messages in the book, forgiveness. Forgiveness for ourselves, our families, our mothers, because it truly is the root of humanity. And it's the only way we move forward. It's the only way that we can have a positive a happy life, productive life. And I, and I tell this story because I see so many women in pain because of their mothers. Don't blame your mother. Mm. Let go of that. That's, That's she, holding you back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's not you. You're you. You have your choices to make. Mm-hmm. Don't carry your mother's burden. Don't carry your mother's burden. Perfection right there. That, that is why this discussion and this type of work that you're doing matters because don't carry the burden, recognize it, put it in its place and let it live there. Otherwise it owns you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I'm writing what I said down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, people can't see this, but I have all these notes of, as you were talking, it was just beautiful. So, so good. And I have to say, I think this is your British sensibility, which I admire and love because in um, your latest podcast where you're reading the introduction, you said my husband's first wife wound. (laughs) And And I, I replayed that and I was like, Hmm. That's not the language I have used, but man, that sounds better than the language I've used. In the I have two children from my very own womb and two, thankfully, from my husband's womb. And actually, we do this toast around the Christmas dinner table where we all um, take a shot of whiskey and say what we're thankful for. Love it. Everyone has to go. We say something to each other for Christmas. And I actually, one Christmas, I said... <laughs> I'm so thankful for my children and I'm so thankful to Mary for actually having Kelly and Bran so my body didn't have to go through it yet again. <laughs> I love it. That's just great, right? Find the things to be thankful for. Be authentic. I, I just love it. I love that your book is coming out. We're going to get this in so many hands because this is a conversation we all need to have, right? Well, thank you. And um you know, I, I, I do want to continue the conversation. I, what I will say is, as I said, started off as a funny book, film maybe, but it has evolved and changed into something of much greater meaning and purpose. And as I said, through story, I think we can help each other and, um, you know, I really hope, you know, people who have book clubs, who read the book, that I can maybe jump on the Zoom with them for half an hour and answer questions. Um, but that 
that we continue, we continue to have these conversations and and start lightening our load because the load is heavy enough out there. And, you know, we we don't need any more strife. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to move on in a positive, lighter way, I think. Let go of the burden. Yeah. Let's do it. Next up is that reading book club. We're going to have a book club. We'll have you appear. It'll be awesome. <laughs> And we'll take a shot of whiskey. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Or tequila, if you prefer tequila. I do like (laughs) Oh, well, I'm just so glad that we've met. And I I don't think this is the end of this conversation at all. And congratulations on all the real hard work that you've done. It's um, authenticity. That's what I, when I look at you, I think authenticity. Yeah. Thank you. I I appreciate that. And I appreciate the kind words and sharing the story. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to more conversations with you. Absolutely. Absolutely.